it's okay that I can just be with you this morning. I just want to spend some time with you because this morning I have something difficult to say. I don't know if you've ever been in this place of having to look at someone that you love and have something difficult to say. It's never easy to say something difficult, but because you love them and you see what's best for them and you see the the potential that God has for them and you want all that God can do for them, if you see someone struggling or you see someone that you love hurting or they're in pain or they're stuck, then then what you'll do if, if you're a follower of Jesus, what you'll do if you are with that person that you love is you'll be willing to to say something difficult to them, not because you're mad at them, not because you don't like them, but because you want what's best for them. Recently, I was listening to George Guthrie, who is thinking about this passage in Hebrews chapter 5, verses 11 to 14, and he was, he was talking about how this has worked in his own life. When someone said something difficult to him, I, I thought I would just read it because it's a great illustration of what this looks like. George says, Sue was a young lady in our singles group. One day she approached me. I was serving as head of the singles council at the time, and she requested we talk privately for a few minutes. Being a single young man, I was thrilled at the opportunity. But our talk had nothing to do with council business or romance. Sue started by thanking me for the job I was doing and leading the group, and she said she deeply respected my walk with the Lord. But then she said, I want to share with you what seems to be a weakness in your life, George. You are so busy and you move so fast from one project or person to another, you often lose eye contact with the person that you're talking with. By being distracted and failing to maintain eye contact and looking away from a person, you communicate that that person and what they are saying are not important to you at that moment. Sue went on to give me some examples, showing that the problem, rather than an isolated incident, was actually a pattern in my life. She also told me about a godly missionary she had known while serving overseas This man with the weight of his vast mission responsibilities on his shoulders had never failed to stop and listen intently when Sue needed to talk. He had given her the gift of his presence. Sue's rebuke was painful but much needed. That encounter, which happened over a decade ago, George says, has made a lasting impression on me. To this day, if if I'm in conversation with the person and my attention begins to falter, Sue's exhortation comes to my mind. I challenge myself, focus, George, give your full attention. I still struggle with that focus, but that sister in Christ who risked being misunderstood and becoming the object of my defensiveness has by her truth-telling had an impact on the way I relate to others. He says, unfortunately, the easiest course often is to keep the peace by keeping quiet. However, when people submerge their true feelings in order to preserve harmony, they undermine the integrity of a relationship. They buy peace on the surface, but underneath there are hurt feelings and troubling questions and hidden hostilities just waiting to erupt. 
He says it's a costly price to pay for a cheap peace, and it inevitably leads to inauthentic relationships. And then he says of the church, the church must be a dangerous place of vulnerability, where love demands more than the guarding of personal ego, and truth must loom larger than peace. Yes, pain plays a part in this indispensable activity of authenticity, yet this pain can be remarkably productive. In many ways, this is what the author in Hebrews is about to do. He's been preaching for, for five chapters on the, the goodness of Jesus that he's walking them through. And he says, Jesus is amazing. And he's, and he's giving them warnings. And eventually he got to this passage where he said, you're, you're, you're Jesus is the perfect pastor. He's exactly what you need in the line of Melchizedek. And we'll get to Melchizedek. And he's just going and going. And scholars estimate it would have taken about 15 minutes for him to read through chapters 1 through five or really to preach through that to the original congregation and then he stops and before he continues he makes a little digression and he turns to the people that he loves and he takes the notes away and he says I have something difficult to tell you here's how it begins in Hebrews chapter 5 verse 11 Alvin can we see this He says, I have a lot more to say about all of this, all of what I've been saying about Jesus, all of my encouragements, all of my exhortations, but I'm having a hard time explaining it since you've become dull of hearing. Church, this is one of the worst things that can happen to an individual or or to a group of people. They've become dull of hearing. This is a difficult word to say to somebody that you love. Some, some translations say slow to listen or slow to understand. Another translation says you picked up this bad habit of not listening. Imagine not caring about God's word or not caring about God's commands and really just not paying that much attention to what God's way is for your life. It's been this gradual process over, over time of some deterioration. Not as if their hearing is bad, their physical hearing, but their spiritual hearing is turned off and it's turned down. And the author knows, the preacher in Hebrews knows that dullness in the ears leads to a hardness of the heart. So he begins, and he's, he, he begins to describe their challenge. He says, let's just talk together for just a minute about what's really going on. Let's have a hard talk. And he says, you have a dullness in the ears. The word in the Greek is a sluggishness. It was used in those days to describe an animal that was struggling, sometimes even like the lion, the king of the jungle. When a lion is weak, it's, it's wobbly in the knees, and and it has, it has nowhere to go. It, it's slow. It's vulnerable. There's a potential of pain that's coming. And so he's saying that they're immature. This wasn't like an intellectual slant. He's not saying you guys are, are stupid or, or you guys aren't smart. We know from the way he's preaching Hebrews, there are very intelligent, bright people in this congregation. It is a beautiful work of art in terms of literature. He's doing very complicated things. So it's not as if they don't have the intellect, but what's happening is they're not, they're not really interested that much in what God's word is. And so they're, 
They're disinterested in receiving God's instruction. And so there's this apathy. There's this apathy in the body. Their sloth is, is really kind of shameful. Their passivity, their intense passivity in dealing with difficult things is painful. Their laziness is ludicrous. These, these Jewish Christians, they had been raised in this tradition of, 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 of religion. And, and they kept having, you know, tempted to go back. This is what we've always done. Let's just stick with what we've always done. And their, their desire to maintain and to stay where they are was getting them stuck. It was getting in the way of what God wanted to do for them for their future. And so this has been happening all over the place. We know it happened to the kings and the prophets in the Old Testament. I was looking at those lately. That you had all these kings that were supposed to be doing God's will, but then, um, but then they weren't. And they were behind closed doors. They were doing things that were, that were inappropriate. And the prophets would come in and say, hey, you, you got to stop. This has got to change. But they didn't listen. They had a dullness of their ears. This is the way that we've always done it, so we're going to continue. I was thinking of John the Baptist with Herod. Any of you remember that story? John the Baptist kept talking about what Herod was doing behind closed doors. And no one really cared. And eventually, off with John the Baptist's head. Is something similar happened recently with Ravi Zacharias Ministries. I don't know if any of you have followed that leader who was such a, such a wonderful founder in this place, a, a Christian apologist, and it was found out that he was doing some inappropriate things behind closed doors. And one of the worst things about it was that when it was found out, what they realized is not only was Ravi doing things that were inappropriate, but the organization knew. And the organization did nothing. And they said, ah, He's making a lot of money. He's important. He's done a lot of good. So let's not hold him accountable. And since then, the entire organization has gone to pieces because the world looked in and said, oh my gosh, what sort of apathy is this? I've been thinking a lot about this. Sometimes I experience apathy even in my own experiences. I'm walking with, with people and, and, and will experience an apathy to, to what what might, some of the difficult things that are going on. I'm always trying to understand it. Always trying to, I, I know it's not like a, it's not like a logical thing. I know it's spiritual, but trying to figure it out. There's this book that just came out. This is brand new. I've been reading it just yesterday, talking about apathyism. And it's kind of the, something that's a part of our culture. And he says, apathyism is rampant in a, in a community that is comfortable and distracted. He says, this is what, this is what happens we, we become apathetic. He says, comfort is a sense of existential safety and tranquility, the hollow peace and ease that come with living in safety and prosperity. He says, when we're in that place of comfort, we tend to get apathetic. He says, distraction is the many ways our digital age offers relief from thinking about things beyond the moment. What is God doing in your life? What does God's word say? Where is God trying to, to get you? And if we're not willing to ask those larger questions, we're going to get apathetic and just get, get stuck. And so he's mostly talking about how the world feels about God. But what the author of Hebrews is saying, there are people in the church who are struggling with this. This is, this is happening even within God's community, this exists in the church. So it's a hard word, and so he continues. He says, you've been Christians for quite a while now, and you ought to be teaching others. 
not necessarily that you're going to come up and, in a pulpit and preach and you're going to do a sermon, but you, got, you should be exhorting others by now. You should be encouraging one another. People should see your life and be like, I want to be like that. I want to lead like that. I want to share like that. But instead, you need someone else to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. He says you need milk, not solid food. The preacher is saying to them, you know, it's fine for a baby to have a little bottle. And it's cute for them to have that. But when the grandpa comes in or the middle-aged one comes in and says, I want a bottle, now it's a little bit creepy. It's a little bit weird. Why are you coming to dinner asking for a bottle of milk? You should, you should have moved on. You should be eating the carrots by now. Even if you don't like them, you should at least eat a few of them on the side. You should be able to chew. You're stuck in the ABCs. It's fine for a first grader to learn the ABCs, but if you're in 12th grade still trying to understand how the alphabet ends... You're struggling. Two plus two does equal four. But at some point, we need to move past those things. The same thing is true with spiritual things. So he says, not only is there a dullness in the ears, there is a babyish diet. This doesn't mean that ABCs are are bad. We all need to to have those foundational truths, especially if you're a new believer. Maybe maybe you're here and you're seeking. You haven't learned a lot about Christianity. Then then it's important that you start start to understand those basic doctrines of the faith. It's not that foundational things are wrong or elementary things are wrong. It's just that many of us are supposed to be graduating. We're not supposed to be in the elementary grades anymore. And and he knows without the proper diet, one does not have the nutrients for proper discernment. Oh, and he sees the, he sees their potential. He wants them to grow. He believes that they can mature. So look what he says in Hebrews 5 verse 13. Hebrews 5 verse 13, it says, a person who is still sucking on milk isn't very far along in the Christian life. Doesn't know how to discern God's way of righteousness. There's that, that discernment is key. He knows you're not going to get very far if you don't have discernment. The Spirit of God can't come in and, and show you what to do in those very difficult moments in life. If you don't have that, you're going to get stuck. They lack the discernment that comes through practice, comes through chewing on God's word, comes through practicing God's word, comes through failing and then picking up again and, and let's keep going. They haven't done that. They're just apathetic. They're just like, you know, that's for someone else. We're comfortable over here. And so they're not actually putting it into practice. It's too difficult. They don't want to analyze and weigh the different options in in light of God's wisdom, in light of what God wants. So their description of their decline He's giving them a hard word. There's a dullness in your ears. Kids, these D's are the fill in the blanks for you. There's an infantile diet. 5.13, there's a haphazard discernment. He's saying, church, you're having a really difficult time figuring out what to do. There's confusion. There's disagreement. There's frustration. What way is up? What way is down? I don't know anymore. Everyone's disagreeing. We have no idea. And so it's really he said, she said. Who's got the most power in the room? Whoever it, that is, they get the final say. 
Who's been around the longest? They're not going to God's word. They're not going to God's way. They're not thinking about God's pure, wonderful, perfect kingdom. And so they're all over the place. It's becoming, the, the, the way of the church is becoming like the way of the world. And he's just so loving to them. And so he just pulls up a chair and he takes the notes away and he says, we got to grow. Hebrews 5.14, but solid food is for the mature, for those whose senses have been trained to distinguish between good and evil. He's like, this is what I want for you, church. This is what I want for each of you individuals. The way to grow in maturity is to start eating solid food. When you start to get those teeth, you got to start working on the baby food like Tanya was saying. you got to start to chew on that carrot. You got to begin wrestling with difficult topics. I know they're difficult. I know the world is saying a lot of stuff, but if we avoid it, if we don't go there, what are we doing? We got to be willing to enter into the trench, the difficult things, really evaluate how am I really doing? How are we really doing? God, show me if there's anything within me that needs to change. We got to be honest about our weaknesses. As As a leader, I have to say, hey, I think I'm weak here. You as a body need to say to your leaders, oh, I'm seeing a weakness. We got to grow. Even your leaders, especially your leaders, need to be above reproach. And all of us are leading one another. We've got to allow God to to show us where we need to change. Because if we don't, if not, then what happens is We become a community that's full of just chaotic decisions. And at this point, if we're not willing to move forward, as the author of of Hebrews is telling us, the regression is not going to be able to be reversed. Now everyone around us is going to begin getting hurt. Everyone's going to be confused. It's going to become chaotic. It's going to be disorder. And that's really a good description of how to go wrong. Really, this is almost like a, like a description of how to become immature. How to, be, how to go from like mature to like being like a baby spiritually. It's like a roadmap for going wrong. And the result of that other process is that there's, there's, you're really just stuck in maturity. And so I was thinking a lot about that and really wrestling with that. And I was, I, was, I was looking at that passage and seeing that roadmap for immaturity. And I recognized that the opposite, if the opposite were true, that's really what would lead to God-inspired growth. And so I looked at that and he's describing where they're at. And the opposite is really what they need to be doing. The opposite of of being dull in the ears would be to willingly submit to God's truth, to say God's word is more important than than Mike's word or Tom's word or, or Joe's word or the world's word. God's word is ultimate, and whatever God is saying we need to do, that's what we're gonna do. I'm just gonna willingly submit to God's beautiful truth. That would be the first beautiful step. That might be difficult. That might require some change. 
But imagine if a community were to do that. Number two, if then they were able to digest those difficult truths on purpose. The Holy Spirit starts coming in and showing you some things and all of a sudden you're surprised and you're saying, yeah, I I gotta digest that. I'm not gonna be apathetic towards it. I'm not gonna ignore it. I'm not gonna push it on the side. I'm not gonna hope it goes away at some point. I'm gonna deal with it right now. The sin in my life, I need to handle it today. My sister and my brother who's struggling, we gotta, we gotta, we gotta work together now. We gotta digest that by the power of the Holy Spirit. We gotta have humble and open discernment. Can't hide things. Gotta be honest. We have to be vulnerable. And when we begin to do that, we're surrounded by our brothers and sisters who come around and they, we start to make decisions that lead to righteousness. Not apathy, not the world's way, not compromise, but righteousness. Good, the good increases, the evil decreases. The world begins to look in and, and starts to see a different way. And they say, oh my goodness, I want to be a part of that. And the result is God-inspired growth. And that's what the author of Hebrews wants for them, and that's what he wants for us. These slides are kind of getting cut off at the bottom. But I was considering all of this, and and I, I, I realized inevitably each of us must be real with what we ultimately want. Do we want to be stuck in immaturity, or do we want to have a life that 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 is like revolving around God-inspired growth. At the end of the day, what do we want our legacy to be all about? Do we want to be stuck in that dullness and doing what's comfortable, doing what we've always done, paying more attention to the traditions, to the past, than what God is doing in the future? Or do we want to say, God, my life is yours. My life is not my own. I've been bought with a price. I want to grow. Help me to do the difficult thing. Help me to do the thing I wouldn't even ever consider. And I'm going to trust you with the results. Church, this is intensely difficult. This is, there is an inevitability to the difficulty if we go God's way. I promise it will not be the easiest way. In fact, it will lead to all sorts of questions because now I'm not in control anymore. And what I always thought my plans were is not actually necessarily what God's plans were. And can I submit to that? And can I trust God in that? Because whatever God's right is, is better than whatever other option I thought was better than that. Church, I cannot believe that this is the passage that we came on this week because as I was preparing this message, I realized that this isn't just a sermon, but this is really a testimony to what God has been doing in my life. God has really been searching me. God has really been pushing me and my wife and for really the last year and really pushing us to say, Mike, can you, can you trust me? Mike, I know you've got these plans, but, but I'm doing something here. Would you be willing to share what's going on with some people that you love and would you be willing to go through that struggle and ask the hard questions 
because maybe God has something for me that was not on my radar. I don't really play chess. Any of you play chess? Some of you do. I imagine, you know, every once in a while, like when, when I'm playing, I never know what the right move is. So like I, all I see is the next move. And so, you know, I'm, I'm always like losing. I'm always in checkmate because I just, I don't understand the game. There's like books out here for like how to do chess, you know, and people are like the masters are thinking like 20 moves ahead. You can already see what's going to happen on the board when you do that one move. I feel like for me, in many ways, I've been playing chess and I've had God over here who's the master chess mover and he keeps telling me, Mike, no, that's not the move. You got to move this way. And I'm like, I don't see that. God, I don't want to do that. And so church, I have something very difficult to tell you. I have something that I had never considered and never wanted and I did not ask. But I believe that God is calling me and my family to move. And in a few weeks, there's going to be another church where I grew up, where a lot of my family lives. It's going to vote on me becoming their lead pastor. And it's a bittersweet moment because... I'm glad that God is moving the pieces and I have to take a step of faith, but you have been my family. And for the last 10 years, we have given our lives to you and you have given your life to us. And as happy as we are to go, we're really sad. And we don't want to. And it feels like God has, has opened the door and he's pushing us through. And it's just not easy and it's difficult. And we kept asking God for a different move and let us just be here. But as we've discerned and walked with the elders and Pastor Tom and we've been trying to to deal with some of what God is doing, we've tried to have open hands and say, God, what what are you up to? Do you want us to be here forever or are you calling us to go? And we believe that God is calling us. And God is using you to send us out to serve in a different place. So church, this is a difficult word. And it's a challenge even to me as I have to consider not just preaching to you, but preaching to myself and saying, am I willing to be open to God's word and his leading? And all that God is doing. Am I willing to take a step out? And I want to do that. And I want God inspired growth for this church. And for the other church. And I want to be the sort of family that's just willing to say, God, wherever you want us, that's where we're going to serve. So I want to ask Pastor Tom to come up and 
he knows and the elders know, and we've been sharing this together for months and months, and they've been such a, such a wonderful blessing to me and have given me their blessing, even though none of us really were asking for this. It's not like they're kicking me out, and it's not like I'm running out. But God has done something that was just so surprising to us, and we're just trying to follow his lead. And so I wanted to tell you, because it feels so weird not to share it with you, and ask for your prayers. We're not leaving tomorrow. We're still going to be here for a little while. But it looks like that's what God is doing. And so I want to tell it to you. I want us to be able to process together. I want us to be angry together and sad together and and, and shocked together and, and trusting God together and asking questions together and being open to whatever God seems to be doing because it's mostly cloudy and I don't see the next steps. But it does seem like God, based on everything that's kind of all the different factors, Kayla and I are at peace about this as our next move. So I just wanted to share that with you. Nothing we wanted to think about ever. Mike and I have experienced uh, almost a decade of the dream partnership and ministry. And uh, we just loved working together, complimenting each other, helping each other to grow. <clears throat> and so we never really considered that it would be any different than that. Um, whether God was trying to tell us or not, we were not <laughs> listening. <laughs> so um, these last several weeks have been uh, difficult to, to come to grips with something that you never considered. Um, and yet, as I thought about it, prayed about it, processed it alone and with others, um, it kind of seems normal if we think about how life goes. When people mature, I have four children, when they mature, they eventually move out. Now, Jeffrey, you don't have to move out yet. You just turned 18. But, but there's a process, right, to growth. As we grow, we learn, we teach, we train, we share life together. Um, at some point, my daughter fell in love with a man who lives in Memphis. You know, my son went out with some friends. He lives in Denver. Um, I don't love that. I would love to keep them, just like I would love to keep Pastor Mike. Um, but that's not God's plan. So as we grow, we submit ourselves to God who has a bigger plan. He doesn't show us the whole plan at once because we probably would blow apart into a million pieces or something. We couldn't handle it. <clears throat> so he shows us little by little, and then even then we sometimes can't handle it. Um, but God in his grace and in his generosity has shared one of his servants with us for almost 10 years, and we have been blessed by it. We have grown as a church. We have grown. We have grown as we've grown with Mike and with Kaylin, and their family has grown. When you came, did you just have one child? You did have the two. All right, I couldn't remember. I was like, I think they had one. So now they got four. Um, so their family has grown, and we have uh, 
gone through ups and downs together. We've learned, you know, good lessons and sometimes some hurtful lessons um, as we grow. That's normal family life. Um, and so as I've continued to submit this to the Lord, you know, he's continued to remind me of his fatherly love and his design is that we grow up. And if we stop growing, something's wrong, right? We've got to continue to grow. And in this case, for me, it's, it's, it's a growing to trust God even more. And I hope that that will be true for you. I know it's true for Kaylin and Mike to learn to trust God even more. You think you're trusting God to the max. And then he says, oh, but step out here in faith. And you're like, wait, I can't step there. There's nothing to step on. Right? So God does his testing and his uh, encouragement for us to grow. So church, this is an opportunity for us to grow, for us to send them with a blessing, for that new church to grow, uh, for the gifts and, and, and the things that God has planted in both of them as a ministry couple to flourish in a whole new pasture with a whole new flock. And we got to be generous. We got to be generous. We can't be selfish. Uh, God is asking us to trust him and to entrust them uh, into his care and into his work uh, in his greater kingdom. We only see the little piece of the kingdom that we live in, but there's a great kingdom of God all along the earth. When we talk about missionaries, often it's, you know, oh yeah, somewhere over there. Um, but these are real people serving God in other places who we love and support, and we are really intertwined with. Whether we consciously remember that or not, God has put us in the body together with one another. Whether we're here in Holden, or whether we're outside in the suburbs of Chicago, or whether we're in Africa with the sacreds, we're, we're God's family. And so we'll always be family, like my daughter. She'll always be my daughter, but now she lives far away, uh, my son as well. You know, that distance thing, you got to work on that relationship. So I want to encourage you in these coming weeks, make sure you spend some time with them. Make sure you tell them what a blessing they've been in your life. Make sure you pass on your blessing to them. And then when they actually leave in June or July, whenever that happens, we don't know exactly yet, we'll have a sending celebration. Um, we'll celebrate the goodness of God uh, in our lives as we've shared it together and in our future as uh, we serve in different pastures. Um, and then when they go, they will never be strangers. They'll always be... They'll always be our brother and sister in Christ. Dearly loved. Dearly loved. So thank you for that hard message, my brother. I'm going <laughs> to love you very much. Um, the elders would like to come up, and we'd like to invite Kaylin and the girls up. We can't invite everybody because of the whole COVID thing. We're already breaking a few rules here. Uh, but we'd like to have the elders come up and maybe just... We'll come down here, Mike. We'll, we'll meet your family here. And just begin the praying that needs to be done over these next several weeks. Keep praying. Keep asking God to do his, his amazing work. And sometimes work that we can't see, he still calls us to walk in faith and to pray in faith for the future. For this man and his family and uh, for the congregation they've been called to. So brothers, there is, if, if you want to use a, a mic, a few of you, 
we can get this one on, can't we? If anyone wants to pray initially for them, I'll pray, and then you guys can pray as well, and then we'll close in prayer. Father God, we thank you for Mike and Kaylin and the girls. We thank you for loaning them to us for such a long time, really, for almost 10 years. Thank you for the way in which they have helped us to grow and the way in which we've seen them to grow. Thank you, God, that you are at work in your kingdom. And your kingdom is not just in these four walls here with us, Lord. Your kingdom is worldwide. We're not greatly happy about you sending them at this time, but we will submit ourselves and our plans to you just as they have, and we will trust you more deeply. I ask that you help them with all the emotions and feelings and relationships and things that that need to be cared for. Care for them by your spirit and help us to care for them as well in these coming weeks. Lord, we love you. We love you for letting us share life with them. Continue to help us, Lord, all to grow, to listen to your voice, to follow after you, for we know that that's where blessing lies. In Jesus' name. Amen. Lord, we thank you for the the blessing of this amazing family. Lord, we thank you for the time that we've shared together. Lord, we we ask that his new ministry would glorify you in every way. Lord, we we ask you to be with each of the members of the church, Lord, that uh, this is this again was a hard lesson for us today, Lord, but that you would uh, bless us in it. Lord, we thank you so much for all you do for us. Lord, we thank you so much for the Penzas and the time that they've spent here with us. We thank you for the many blessings that they've bestowed upon us. And we thank you for their example, their example of listening to you, of stepping out and being part of your word to reach out to others. Lord, I remember a couple of weeks ago when Pastor Tom said that we're all missionaries, that we are all tasked to spread your good news further. We thank you for the example of the Penzas who are taking your word and bringing it to others. Even if it may not be here in Holden, we ask that you would bless them and that you would bless us as we take your word to those who are in need. Father God, we thank you that you are the master gardener and that you are pruning this church and you are pruning the Penzas. We thank you that this will result in much fruit. We thank you for the multiplication, Lord. We thank you for your favor upon us and on them. We just ask that you would help us all discern your steps, Lord, that you were directing us on and that we would be obedient no matter what the calling is. We ask you give us wisdom, Lord, and raise up someone here to fill the void 
it'll be a great void, Lord, but you are able. We thank you for your faithfulness, and we put our trust in you. In Jesus' name. Heavenly Father, our, our hearts are, uh, are real heavy right now. Well, God, you are good, and we look to you. We thank you so much, God, for blessing us with this wonderful family. With the way they've ministered to us, the way that their lives have intertwined with us. And <clears throat> they've given themselves wholly and completely to this church. And, uh, Father, we love them so much. And uh, we ask, God, that uh, you would surround them with your love now as you guide them to new places. As they faithfully follow you in uncharted waters, Lord. We ask you, Father, to give us a new vision, uh, to take what Mike has taught us in so many ways, Lord, uh, ways he's challenged us, the way that he's grabbed our attention in sermons and brought us to your word time and time again, Lord. Thank you for the passion that he has had for your word and the way that he has, through your guidance, God, uh, filled us with that truth. So we thank you, God, for the time you've given us with them. May we be a blessing to them um, as they take their next steps. Thank you, Lord. Well, we thank you so much for the time we've had with the Penzas. Change is, is difficult for us, Lord, but we know that that's how we mature, that's how we grow. So we thank you for your promises that all things work for the good for those who love you. So we, we look forward to what you're going to do in their lives as they step out on the waters, Lord, and, and just have to trust you even more and lean on you even more. That's how we grow, Lord. We, and us as church, as we lose them, the same thing's going to happen here, Lord. We're going to have to lean on you more. We're going to have to seek you harder. Lord, so we, we don't like to change, but we know it's for our good. So we pray your will be done. We pray an amazing blessing. Help the church to rally around and, and be supportive of, of your will for the Penzer's life. Mm -hmm. So we just thank you for, for just all they've invested in us and we pray that uh, the return would be multi multifold back to them.